Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Jennifer Finch from L7, and I'm here to enthusiastically inform you that you are unaccidentally listening to the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me on My Rock Moment today. So if you've held the Hotel California, Abbey Road, or Who's Next albums in your hand, you know his work. You know my next guest. His name is John Kosh, but most know him best as just Kosh. Now, Kosh is a Grammy Award-winning art director and former design director for Apple Records, and he's the creative genius behind a long list of iconic album covers. Kosh joined me on a rainy L.A. afternoon, which we're getting a lot of these days, to discuss his time working with the Beatles, his longtime friendship with Linda Ronstadt, and the stories behind some of his most well-known work. So let's get into it. Oh, lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too, Kosh. Thank you so much for coming on My Rock Moment. There's a lot to discuss. I know you wear many hats, but your best known works (laughs) are the timeless album covers. And I'm only listing a few. The list is so long. And I did go through all of them. I did. Out of sheer curiosity. But I mean, everybody knows Hotel California and Abbey Road and Let It Be. And then most people, at least my listeners, definitely know Ronstadt's Simple Dreams and James Taylor's JT. And then everybody knows the Stones, Get Your Yayas Out. So that was about 1% of yeah. what you've done. <laughs> well, the last 10 years, yeah, maybe 15 years, you know, vinyl has made such a resurgence. And it's still going strong. And that must be a real interesting feeling for you. Yeah, and the point is, it's what you can see because it's a boring square, you know, whereas all we went through, like uh, CDs, cassettes, and whatever else, which uh, 
you know, now I guess it's downloaded. So there's the resurgence of vinyl, which is overtaking CDs. But I mean, just one thing is, apart from the artwork, the music sounds better, you know, and looks sound. Yeah. And I think, you know, this younger crowd too, and I've said this before in previous episodes, there's something so intimate about the whole album experience. You buy it, you look at the artwork, you open it up, you see the pictures of your, you know, your heroes or this band that you love so much. And then you listen to the music as it was meant to be listened to. Right, and you can read the lyrics, and you can sort of read the yes. line notes, and you can clean your grasps in the great folks seeds run down. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, there's a reason why, you know, all these songs were put together, or there's a certain theme to the album. A lot of that, I feel like, is lost these days. It is lost these days, as people, you know, search for music on Spotify, and they're listening to, you know, to singles and that's it you right. know it's singles and coming out and then you know it kind of what's your whistle for the album or whatever it is those days are gone <laughs> well speaking of the the 60s can we go back can we go back to the beginning of it all when you were working on uh i think it was art and artist magazine yes right i mean i was i was um i'd actually i actually was working for the royal opera as well i mean this is why i still love good classical music and opera sure. um i came from there and i was running briefly as the art director of Art and Artist magazine because the editor, who was the famous Mario Amaya, decided to run off and run the Venice Biennale and leave me in charge, which is like, oh my God, I'm now fielding phone calls from uh, the great artists of the world, you know. And that sort of, uh, I, I absorbed that, you know, and I sort of found some new friends, I mean, the great new artists that were coming up at the time. And of course, while this is all going on, John and Yoko were doing their primary screen things and whatever else. Yeah. I wanted to insert a floppy disk. I, I don't know what they call it, but it was a sort of big, it's a square plastic piece with a groove cut into it. And you put it on your turntable. I mean, okay. Uh, um, and they wanted it blown into the magazine. And it was just right on deadline time. Um, and of course, you're not going to say no to John Lennon. You know, so and he phoned me up one night. I did not believe it was him. I thought it was fine. Oh, it's putting me on, you know. And I got to Hammersmith Hospital and knocked on the door of his suite and opened the door and there was John Lennon and that's why it was started in 1968. And was it normal? Now, you said you were fielding calls from big artists, but was it normal for an artist the size of John Lennon to call you directly and say, Uh This is John Lennon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is John Lennon. And I'm thinking, who the hell is this? You know, this is, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, if John wants to call you, he calls you, doesn't he? You know? yeah, I guess so. He so. away, and I'm designing the magazine. I mean, when I say I'm in, in charge of the magazine, I am. There's one telephone and one desk in a city little office overlooking Covent Garden, you know, the market. Um, and so there's no one else to pick up the phone. <laughs> What a trip. I mean, I guess back then they didn't have the entourage that they do now doing everything for them. If you think about when I was in a job after a few weeks, I said, well, why didn't you just go and join Apple? I just have a desk. And you'd be sitting in Apple and Paul would arrive. Well, Paul would have arrived on a bus, a London transport bus, you know. He always would drive up in his Rolls Royce and chuck the keys out the window to the scrubs who were the local to the groupies who would be on the doorstep, and they'd go and park his car for him. Can you imagine that happening today? 
No. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, it was very strange. I mean, yeah, but at the time it didn't it seem normal. <laughs> I know, I'm 23 years old, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a typographer, I'm a good designer, and I know print, which is why I was very helpful. Because no one else in, in the Apple organisation knew how to design, so I had my paper bag, you know, so I'm all getting printed in time. Um, so I just was at the right place at the right time. And is it true that your first assignment was the Abbey Road album cover? Yeah. Well, actually, I was sort of working on Let It Be, which called Get Back at the time. Um, and Mary Hopkin. Mary Hopkin and there was, um, who else was going on at the time? Uh, Billy Preston. And I was sort of juggling around, thinking about things and whatever else. But all of a sudden, it was Abbey Road, and Abbey Road has to, you know, the art has to be delivered two days from now. You had two days to do Abbey Road, and you had no idea at that time what the concept would be, what you were shooting, because it was Ian McMillan, right? Ian McMillan was a lovely friend of mine. He was actually one of Yoko's closest photographers. And he got the assignment, um, and we ended up with 12 pictures on a light box, you know, and I'm like thinking, is this good enough? And uh, Ian is saying, I don't think this is good enough for Beatles cover, do you? You know? And we're talking about possibly one of the most famous covers in the world. But we didn't know what we, we thought, you know, Paul's out of Stephanie, you know, that is cool. Um, what are we going to do, you know? And then I decided at the last minute, we're not going to put the name of Beatles on the cover. We're not going to put Abbey Road on the cover. Um, because if you don't know who the Beatles are by now, you've been living in a cave, you know. And I got into a lot of trouble from EMI, the parent company, who are distributing Interesting to say that I obviously um, didn't know what I was doing, and it's, you're never, you're never going to sell an album. And I got a sort of a, a phone call from Sir Joseph Lockwood yeah. late, early one morning, and he's, you know, he had a very, very posh voice, but his invective, his expletives were so disgusting. <laughs> Come me from a posh voice, it really frightened the pants off me. It was too late because I'd already got, I already got the albums on press. You know, it was too late to change it. Um, and uh, I didn't know what to do. And I like, walked into Apple the uh, very next morning. And George was there. George was there. It's unusual for a beach to be there before 10 o'clock, you know. And I told him what happened. And he said, well, fuck it. You know, <laughs> they were on board with, like, no mention of the album name or the Beatles. Yeah. But he lost interest, actually, I think, because he was working on his own albums, you know. Ringo right. was making the magic Christian, whatever else. George was kicking around, and John Yoko reading the office around the corner. So, you know. Looking back, did you have any idea? I mean, even the moment it came out, right? You know, the people were, there were all these 
conspiracy theories around it and that it had all these, you know, subliminal messages that Paul was dead, his shoes are off, there's a cop in the background, all of that. I mean, you must have just laughed at all that hype. Well, yeah, it was what it sold beautifully, you know, I mean, um, particularly in America, uh, because of all the rumors going around, uh, you know, the Paul Stead rumor, of course, was the big one. And Jared, Derek Taylor, um, the lovely Derek Taylor, the late Derek Taylor, who was the super officer, he decided that we should say nothing. So if anyone asks you if it's really Paul, we have to say something, well, like him, you know, something evasive. So we never confirmed or denied the death of Paul. You know, there's all these rumors, he's got a cigarette in his hand and he disappears and 28 years on the license plate, you know. Um, so it just took off. And, you know, I mean, he was the fifth beach in America, I can't remember, the, the, the DJ. No, he was on the, he was on the, I think he was coming out of New York and he just went crazy over uh, promoting the album. And um, I don't remember the name. And, you know, as soon as we hang up, I'll remember. Of course, yeah, of course you will. Anyway, so that's that's the story behind um, Abbey Road. So I didn't know it was going to cause that fast. And I was just worried about not thinking it was up to scratch. You know? And here you are, this young kid, and now you've got Abbey Road in your back pocket. Yes. And I started to walk on Let It Be, yeah. And, and then you did Let It Be, which was already done, right? Yeah. Get Back. It was called Get Back at the time. Get back at the time, yeah. Anyway, if you get the complete package, which is worth a fortune now, I'm told, you know, with the box, with the book in it, and, and the record, well, the, uh, the album says that it be, but the books have to get back because it's printed way ahead of the uh, press. Now you've got these, these two golden tickets in your back pocket, but you went on to work with the Beatles um, as they went and did some of their solo ventures. You did War Is Over with John and Yoko. Yes, right. That just went around the world. That, turned, that was supposed to be a Christmas card. It started out. Yeah, I know. Yoko, and um, it just snowballed. We did a, you know, I think we did the biggest billboard on Times Square at the time. I mean, the colossal attention was looking out uh, yeah, so every city, major city in the world had a war is over poster in whatever language. It was a typographical nightmare for me, but I managed to keep that minimalist kind of black and white look. You know. That must have been very interesting to see all the press coverage at that time. Yeah, it was amazing, actually. It was place in Amsterdam, Toronto, Montreal, and, you know, I'm flying over. Did you feel like it made a difference? No, I don't think so. Look at it, what's going on now. I mean, it's did for a while, I think, you know, but... We came out of the summer of love, and I thought, well, then it got a bit sticky with the ultimate disaster in the stones. Maybe this will work, you know. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, it's still, it's still a big movement. You know, Yoko's, I don't know, 90th birthday, 80th birthday. She, she's, yeah, not, she's 90. Um, she's still promoting it all, and I hope it eventually works. I mean, if I had a penny for every Warriors Over t shirt, I mean, I would be in the Bahamas too. No kidding. <laughs> Well, I think about that, and I've seen some really, you know, iconic images of that um, war is over uh, the billboards all throughout the world, and there was a big one on Sunset as well. I think that's the only one with a black background with white tie. Ah, that was the only one. Black, yeah. And I think the problem was that I sent out a tissue with the negative, and they thought that's how it should look. 
which is fine. It looks great. It, it did. It looked really, I mean, I loved well, it. You know, the Marlboro Man, if you remember him. You remember? Yes, I did see in the in the picture itself. Right. I, you're facing west. I think it's just west of Crescent Heights, yeah, right. and it's looking out over everything. You've got Chateau Marmont. You see the uh, you know the tower, the, it's it's little Volkswagen down there. And the, uh, yes, yes, it's such an iconic picture. It's the Marlboro Man, actually, the real Marlboro Man. It was a model, and he was a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, which was a pure of incidents. I knew him in London very well. Um, and he was the Mulgrew man. He was very gay, but very Mulgrew. And there he is standing up there, you know, all 20 feet of him. <laughs> I mean, next to your work. What a trip that must be. That was fabulous, yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Okay, guys, let's get back to the interview. to go back because there's one album I want to touch on that I know caused a bit of controversy. Another British band, The Who, still touring. Yep. Yes. <laughs> How many left? I don't know. <laughs> but they're still out there. They're still doing their thing like the Stones are. Yeah, right. Amazing. Give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? They're still an audience for them. Yes, sales are, you know, magnificent. Everybody wants to be able to see these bands while they can still perform. And and I'm one of them too, but... Well, the music's great. You've got to admit. 
No, Stones concert is always an event. You know, I mean, you've got some, you know, the opening bands and the actual act itself. I mean, Mick Hutton says a word, you know, like Hello Los Angeles, and then they go, and you've got like 10, 12 songs, one, bang, two, three. And, uh, you know, it's, you walk out for them exhausted <laughs> you do but you know it's interesting because and i want i'll jump back to the who in a second but i saw i've seen the stones in la a number of times and most recently i went to texas to see them in austin texas it was their last big like stadium type show you know that size um, of that tour and when you go to a show in la i mean you know you get the diehard fans but then you get everybody that's all glammed up you think that they're you know, going to some sort of award show. Um, but when I went to the show in Texas, these were diehard fans. You parked a mile away and all you saw were these pickup trucks full of people. And they're they're flying Stones flags. They're all wearing Stones t-shirts. They jump out of the truck and they run to the gate. The energy was different um, in a beautiful way. You know, these were real, real fans that trekked out there from all over the state to see them. Right. And it's just, a, it was a different feel than LA. Not right. better or worse, just different. So yeah. it's a testament to them. That's true. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I, work, I, I enjoyed working with them too. They were 100% professional band. Yeah, there was, you know, I did two sessions with them and they all turned up on time. Well, no, everyone turned up at time except the kids. <laughs> he's so charming and apologized so agile, you, you forget <laughs> like they were gentlemen you know and get your yayas out you know that it's got charlie on the cover yeah what was because i know some bands want to work very closely with you on the cover art and some maybe give you creative control right what was the story behind that well it went it went uh south actually um or sideways, I think it's the current expression. What happened was I, I um, the original concert, which Mick had approved, was his Uncle Tom Hat, stripey, uh, you know, uh, Sam Hat, sorry, Uncle Sam Hat. And, it was, and I put an American hamburger on top because in, in, in Britain, um, the American hamburger thing had taken over. There was all these dreadful wimpies and whatever else it sort of chains were serving. Uh, and all of a sudden it became very fashionable to be on Chelsea and uh, King's Road and get some great American hamburger store, right? You know, and so I thought, okay, he's on tour in America, he's wearing this, you know, other same hat, I'll put a hamburger on top, just use that image. And we had to catch up on it and muscle and whatever else. And um and what what happened was that the, the ketchup was dripping out and going down the side of the hat. And someone, I think probably Someone take a reference, I don't know. So he said, No, we can't have this because of the ultimate disaster. Oh. And so that cover, I was, I was in, on holiday in, in Ibiza at the time. That got pulled. And Nick apparently said, as far as I can tell, Here, yeah, use this and take this picture of Charlie. It was a David Bailey picture, right? David Bailey, a very famous photographer at the time. Mm-hmm. He's pissed off. I'm pissed off. <laughs> everything else is the same. Typography, the purple border, the back cover, the other sleeve. Everything else is the same except Charlie. Charlie's the roots of gas. 
<laughs> yeah, you must have loved it. <laughs> this t-shirt with breasts on it. I don't know if you've seen that one. The original one, he was wearing the t-shirt with breasts. But I think now in the latest release, it's back again. <laughs> I I didn't even think about any sensitivity around Altamont. Yeah. yeah it, was, it, was a, it was a disaster. You know? So, I mean, had I been in London, I would have taken over. All right. I always wondered about that. I, I thought that was such an interesting album cover compared to all the other ones, you know, that, that they've done. All the live albums, it's way up there. And what about who's next? Uh, okay. What do you want to know about who's next? Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to dive into it. But I remember the first time I saw that album cover and I'm like, that's not, that's not urine on this side. <laughs> There's no way. Well, it was urine except for Roger Daltrey's because he couldn't pee and that was a cut from the water. <laughs> Who came up with this idea? No, well, it actually was... Um, I don't know how it evolved. You know, it's one of those sort of serendipitous things that just occurs, you know. Um, I mean, I, I was on move. I, I didn't, I wasn't there when the actual shot was taken. I was moving on because I was going to set up a, a shoot for the Keith Moon. And so I'd left the band and he's in Rust. Well, my contribution was the, you know, the typography and I didn't like the sky. So I cut in a new sky and, you know, tidied up the band. Because they were looking a little kind of wet warm. <laughs> they were not. They're not looking Have they been indulging? We <laughs> all indulged in those days, too. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what happened. So they were all indulging and they just used the. It's basic, it's basic sort of humanity, isn't it? You know, <laughs> there's a place that's do that. It was like, these were roadblocks set up for a forthcoming motorway. It was going to go from London to Wales, and they hadn't finished building it. And what did the label say? Uh, the label was fine with it, actually, yeah. But I, when I had that in my portfolio, the first time I came to the States looking for work, and, you know, uh, I think Neil Bogart and Casablanca Records threw me out because he thought it was obscene. <laughs> really? This is 1977. Okay, and so you mentioned it. Now you you had these these big tickets in your back pocket, you know your work with the the Who and the work with um, the Beatles, and you made out you made your way out to California. I'm assuming because everybody else made their way out to California. Rod Stewart was over here, coming over. Um, in fact, that's why we did Atlantic Crossing together. Um, and Ringo had already come, you know. Um, and I, I thought, well, you know, let's try it because, you know, I mean, having been to LA, it's paradise, palm trees, sunshine, you know, like it used to be. Like it used to be? <laughs> Not now. <laughs> yeah, flashing against the window. Um, so, um, yeah, um, but it wasn't easy breaking in because there were certain clicks in here that, um, I was resented by the record labels because they had their articles and whatever else. Um, 
I decided that if I'm not going to get any work from the labels, I better go with the management. And so knowing Peter Rash, who was you know, managing Linda Ronson and James Tate from Apple days, because he was managing James, you know, at Apple. Right, right. Well, he never did anything. Um, so I went to Peter, and of course Peter said, well, you know, let's meet Linda, because Linda and I just got on like house of um, and that led to James, and then that led to Irving Hazel, who gave me the years. And from that point on, it was just like, uh, you know, I had, to, I had to expand my offices. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, because I know you have a long-standing friendship and work relationship with Linda Ronstadt. You won three Grammys with her. So we did, yes. Are you still in touch with her today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I phone occasionally. Sometimes she comes back. No, you text a lot. You text a lot. That's great. Because you did, I mean, I know you did a number of albums, but the Grammy-winning albums were um, Lush Life, Get Closer, and Simple Dreams. And Simple Dreams, I know, was in the bathroom of the Pantages. Am I right? Yes. Well, those mirrors. Yes, that beautiful Art Deco bathroom. I mean, it was awful. Chores and lights because there's reflections everywhere, which means you can see the camera and you can see me holding up the black pulse and things. <laughs> all I wanted was Linda and her reflection a couple of times that wrapped around the bank. And so we set it up and it took a couple of days to set up, get it to work. But Jim showed you most fabulous photographer to work with. Um, and still a dear friend. Um, and then we sort of, you know, experimented with getting the grain structure right, so it had that sort of nice, soft, pastel look. And it, you know. it was beautiful. Yeah, and I just knew I was, I was building a Grammy. I knew this, you know, the typography was absolutely spot on. Posting, but it's, it's very pretty. Like it. Very happy. It is, yeah, it really is, and it just represents Linda so well. Yes, it does, particularly at that time. Because later on, she goes, she wanted to be a little harder and tougher, and that's why we did Mad Love, where she's looking black and white, and she's in a phone booth. Yeah. And I gave her a pile of porters, and she called Jerry Brown the gun of California. Or rather, Pete, um, yeah, Pete Howes, actually, photographing. He's a war correspondent, and he's doing the job. So, what did that click? No, no, urgency. <laughs> So she's on the phone with Governor Jerry Brown when she's looking up at you or look, looking up at the photographer. Yeah, or wherever we got, we got some beautiful pictures. She looks gorgeous, but it's also that hard look we wanted, you know. Yeah, yeah, kind of had that very 80s yeah, feel to it. No, it's just a change of focus, you know. And you did Hasten Down the Wind as well? Yes, that's a lovely page, though. That's one of my favorites. Linda took some beautiful, beautiful, I mean, she's a beautiful woman. Yes, totally. But, I mean, aside from, um, what was it, uh, the cover with the pigs, everything well, else has been. <laughs> I the cover with the pigs. <laughs> that was, to me, a little bit of a miss. But <laughs> otherwise, all her album covers. Pretty good. Yeah, I came in a prisoner of disguise, which was, uh, you know, uh, then we didn't hasten down the wind, and I got into a lot of trouble because you could see her nipples through the. Uh, and I was actually having trouble with one of her hands because it looked a bit like a claw. So I actually photographed my wife's hand and 
put it. And so that's my wife standing on the window as she's walking around. But while I'm doing this, I miss the middle bit, and that's where I got into big trouble because we're selling sex and not music. You know. Today means nothing, but you know. I know. It went through again, approved by the label, approved by Linda. The organization of women decided they didn't like it and called me directly. Yes. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Unapologetic. What you, that was 1976, right? Yes, six or seven. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Because that was a big year for you. You produced or you put together a number of iconic album covers. Hasten Down the Wind. Yes. Um, you also did her greatest hits. And then you did ELO's New World Record. All right. And then you also did Hotel California that year. 76 was Hotel California, yeah. I live very close to there. And I walk by the Beverly Hills Hotel all the time. And I walk by Will Rogers Memorial Park where you shot it. And I'd love to know why there. When when Will Rogers Memorial Park, I mean I just remember shooting the hotel. So across the street. Oh is, that, oh, yeah. that, oh I because when you say Will Rogers, I keep thinking it's like Pacific Coast Highways. Oh, yeah, there's I'm, there's I'm, Will I'm, Rogers um Cherry picker there. Okay, that's good. yes, yes. I am at least I imagine that's where you put it. You put it across the street, right? Because yeah, you were right. able to get up high. I mean, I keep feeding the meter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was Will Rogers Memorial Park, right oh, there. Oh, I see that place. It's got, it's got a little public lavatory in the middle of it or something. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. So, but why the Beverly Hills Hotel? Well, because what we did, we, we scouted. David Alexander, the photographer, and I scouted. Um, and we, had, we, we went to the Green Hotel, I think it was, in Pasadena. Beautiful. Then we found a sort of cross season somewhere out. I don't know where it was. And then we, we came back to the, to the Beverly Hills Hotel and thought, well, we have to come back because we can't get a good shot of it. Got the cherry picker, and it's just as the sun was going down, and we get shoot. And we up there too, it's David and I, and the, the oh, another famous photographer friend of mine, Aaron Rappaport, was the assistant at the time. He was down below. Oh my goodness! So I mean, now Aaron's, you know, it's a really big, uh, great photographer. So what would happen is because um, I'd been down, so David could use me as a tripod to shoot. He'd run out of film, and while he's reloading, okay, he'd go down and I'd shoot. So I'm not. We're not quite sure who actually took the, the, the precise snap, um, but it doesn't matter because David set the whole thing up and David gets the credit, and so he deserves it too. And he did, of course, the interior shot and the back shot. Um, but in those days, you know, we had all these pictures and we blew them up to the size, you know, four foot square, five foot square, and just walked in and the band was sitting there, you know, and it was laid them out, you know, and he went, well, that's it. I think you couldn't get away from it and have the sunset and whatever else. 
But had you put the effects on it at that point, or are they just looking at the photograph it's, itself? Because it almost looks drawn at this point, you know? Hotel California lettering on it or anything like that, which I had drawn and then re-photographed to make it look like it was part of the photograph with the same grain structure and all that. That wasn't there. But I had worked on the blue lights a little bit and, you know, nothing. We changed all the time. <laughs> So unanimously, the band sat down and they said, this is it. Yeah. There's no, you know, well, because I listened to the Hotel California soundtrack and I knew mm-hmm. Mike one was going to be here. There's so no doubt. It's going to be yeah. a massive, massive single. Um, so we needed a massive, massive cover. So that's why I walked in with something big. They wouldn't see little things like this or look through a loop and a light box. Or you can project them on the wall, but I decided to make table-sized prints so you can't get away from them. And then you went with the Lido Apartments. Yes, right. I don't know what it is now. I don't even know. I I wonder if they're still around. I I feel like I've seen the building. I mean, but I don't know whether it's occupied. And where did you even find that? That is so random because it was probably some dilapidated building at the time. Sat in the soundstage, which now, um, and we were spending an awful lot of money. That's the most expensive cover we've ever done. Yeah, that came in the 40 grand. So you can imagine what that would be in today's money. Oh, yeah, quite a bit. But yeah, so we decided to scout, and um, you know, real hotels wouldn't let us do it, or they, you know, disruptive. Um, so someone gave us a lead to this place, and we walked in and thought, well, we can decorate this. And you did. Mm-hmm. And it became another photo that evoked a lot of, you know, um, rumors. And- oh, yeah. yeah. We did this Rastafarian in the corner who appeared mm-hmm. from couldn't find him to get him to sign the release. So he just was now become a friendly spirit, you know. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> What's interesting is that um, I, I teach um, California rock history for Bradley University. Right. And my students had to do a review of a lot of the iconic albums of the time period that we cover. And one of my students had Hotel California. He was peppering me with questions about the cover. <laughs> he was like, who is this person? And then I read there's like some sort of head of the satanic church or something oh, that's involved. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever happened was serendipitous and it didn't affect science, but it <laughs> There you go. There you go. It happened again. And I did hear, though, that the Beverly Hills Hotel took issue with it. Oh, yeah. They were pissed off because, um, but they didn't stand a chance because Irving Azoff, the band's manager, pointed out that their subscription, what do you call it? Their, their, um, the people who came to stay had multiplied almost like three times. The hotel bookings? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the hotel bookings have tripled. I may be exaggerating, but the point is they've made more money out of it than if they just kept quiet. <laughs> and that was it. They kept quiet after that. That is such a great story. They, they try and sue me. You know, I'm the art director, the creative director. So it's not like they go to me first because it's probably easier than going to the uh, going to Warner Brothers. You know? Sure. Sure. I just phone her be amazing immediately. Help me out of this. I mean, God. They call him Satan, actually. It's the great Satan. Do they really? 
Hey, I mean, don't worry about it. I've not got anything bad to say about it. There's a lot of people apparently do. So. Uh, well, no, I mean, he's he's done an incredible job. Yeah. No, he's, he's stood up for me many times you know, when I wanted to do things. I thought I saw um, Irving Azoff the other day when I was walking. Um, oh. And, you know, the minute I turned around, it was a double take. It's not somebody you expect to see on a residential street in Beverly Hills. And, uh, you know, just walking along. And I turned around and I thought, that was Irving Azoff. And he'd already walked behind, uh, you know, the front door. And he has a keychain which he swings as he walks. Yes. Oh, shoot. Next time, next time I'll look for that. <laughs> I thought, oh, I would if, if I had known it was him, I would have kicked myself if I didn't say hello. I'll just keep walking by that house for the next, you know, however many days. There's so many moments. I mean, you know, I ask a lot of my guests based on the name itself, you know, my rock moment. Everybody that I talk to has a moment when they decided that they wanted to become a musician or that they wanted to manage bands or, you know, that they wanted to be a DJ or whatever it might be. Um, and I love hearing those moments that change them. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you had one like that. You know, where you decided this is it. This is what I want to do. Uh, well, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, <clears throat> it was evolving. I think. But what happened was that um, I was working for the British Printing Corporation, um, and I ran off to get married. And the day on New Year's Day, and the day after in Wales, and the day I returned to London, which was the day after I found I'd been fired. But I was working at the time, also working on a magazine for the Royal Opera with the Honourable Kensington Davidson, who said, well, okay, you're fine. Why don't you come and work with me? So all of a sudden I'm at the Opera House thinking, oh, my God, I'm now listening to this. I'm going to rehearsals. I'm seeing music. I'm listening to Mozart. You know, things totally changed. But it looks something like this. And then, you know, that led to art and artists are now involved in art, you know, thinking, you know, I think, well, where am I going? It's like getting crazy. And then, of course, I'm into rock and roll. I thought, this is the moment I stay. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And then in that next big moment, well, let's go to California. That's, you know, that's another moment. You're like, well, that was a good moment stay. <laughs> what year was that? You said 71? In 73, the end of 73. So, yeah. And that was it. You never looked back. You never went back to London. I became a citizen in 80-something or other, you know, so, yeah, I'm an American, and I love it. Yeah, I love LA, too. You know, the music here was great. I mean, I know sounds, sort of soft rock was prevalent, I mean, it was also, the jazz scene was going on, the blues scene was going on, you sure. know. And so I was just happy. 
73. That was also the start of John Lennon's um, Lost Weekend. Did yeah. you connect with him at all while you were out here? He was a friend of ours. He actually used to stay at our house in London. So, so we sort of got most skinny about the whole thing. She was heartbroken when he left to go back to yoga. I spoke to a couple of weeks ago. There's a documentary coming out. Yes, I know. I haven't seen it. I've seen the print of teaser. It should be an interesting one. Thanks. Kosh, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no, you're welcome. I enjoyed every moment. Thank you. I mean, look, I've been looking at your artwork ever since I was, uh, you know, I, I was had a coherent yeah, thought, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so thank you for, you know, all your incredible work. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I've got a feeling, a feeling deep inside, oh yeah. All right, a big thank you to Kosh for coming on. I never knew that he was the design director behind so many album covers in my collection, which is pretty cool. There are so many stories we did not touch on, so I think we're probably going to have to have him back another day. Thanks for listening, everyone, and please be sure to rate, review, subscribe to My Rock Moment wherever you listen, and if you're on Instagram, follow me at LA Woman Rocks. We'll see you at the next episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.